Why did the chicken cross the road? Because I live in the country now and my neighbors have chickens and every day I drive past them to take my kids to daycare and there are legit chickens crossing the road every day. <laughs> and why they do it, I don't know, but they're there and all the cars know that they're there. So as the line of cars gets closer, but he slows down and brakes and yields to the chickens as they finish crossing the road. If you are new to this podcast, I would like to welcome you to Starting Sustainability. This podcast is designed for those who are starting a sustainable lifestyle, which means it's general knowledge. I am in no way an expert at this, but I have been doing this podcast for like three plus, almost four years now at this point, and I feel like I've learned quite a bit. And so thank you for everybody who's a long-term listener who has been around this whole time and has been there to support me and see me grow through literally grow <laughs> through the different stages of sustainability and work my way through it. And I like to share my experiences with my audience. That way, if there are success stories, I want to share that. If there are failures, I also want to give you the heads up on that. So that way you do not encounter the same thing and get frustrated and give up. I want everybody to continue to be as sustainable as possible. And this is episode 119. Throwing in a little Ric Flair there for you, if there's any WWE fans. So before we get into it, I want to announce a correction. From the last episode, I received feedback, which, by the way, I absolutely love. I love it when I get feedback because from my point of view, this is very one-sided. I do a lot of talking and then hopefully people are listening and like it. So when I get actual feedback of I loved it, I have questions, it just makes my day. The first question that I received was about the hard-boiled eggs for Easter. I stated that you have one week for hard-boiled eggs in the fridge and then they are not safe to eat anymore. That is true. That is true. You got one week. <laughs> but the question I received was how long can they stay out at room temperature? And the real answer is two hours. You have two hours at room temperature with hard-boiled eggs. I personally have no idea how I survived childhood because I know my parents put the eggs out the night before <laughs> and then they would sit there all night long before we got up in the morning to go find them. But really for food safety, after hard boiling eggs, they should be refrigerated within two hours and they definitely should not sit out all night long. No, no, no. <laughs> I do understand this is confusing because farmers will harvest eggs like fresh out of the chicken's butt and let them sit there on the kitchen counter for days. In fact, unwashed farm fresh eggs can sit on the counter for up to two weeks before you need to put them into the refrigerator. But the big factor here to focus on is that once an egg is washed, which commercial eggs that you get from the store, they are washed, then they must be refrigerated. And when an egg is being hard boiled, that counts as washing. <laughs> so if you have a farm fresh egg or a store-bought egg, once it's hard boiled, it's been washed and that protective coating on the eggshell is removed. It's washed away. And that's what makes it more susceptible to bacterial growth resulting in spoiled eggs. And then the other question had something to do with me basically tripping up on my words and I didn't catch it. I made a statement that broccoli and orange carrots are not found in nature. And what I meant to say, to clarify, is that 
they are not a natural plant that was put here on this earth by God or whatever supreme being you believe in. Those were cultivated. So broccoli is a form of cabbage that was cultivated by farmers and scientists to a more palatable form. But if you go walk out in the woods, you're not just going to find wild broccoli growing. You, you won't. It will only grow in your cultivated garden. And the same for orange carrot. Yes, there are, there are wild carrots, but the orange carrot was genetically modified and bred. So your wild carrots are usually white or purple, but the orange ones were genetically modified and bred. That is what I meant to say, that they are not a... They do grow in nature, but they are not naturally a part of this world. They were manipulated by humans. Okay, now I would like to fill you in on the gigantic life-changing event that took place. <laughs> we moved and it was high stress and chaotic. Wednesday, we closed on selling our house. Thursday, we closed on buying the new house. Friday, we loaded up for 14 hours because we did pack Wednesday and Thursday, but we had to pack some more on Friday. And it took us for, it was just the two of us loading up. It was just my husband and I, the kids were at daycare. But it took us 14 hours to load up the truck and the truck was too small. So then we had to play Tetris with all of our stuff to make as much of it fit as possible. Saturday, we drove two hours north to the new house and my wonderful, huge shout out family, amazing, over Easter weekend came and helped us unload. It took only one hour to unload the truck. It took us 14 hours to pack it and one hour to unload it because we had so many hands helping out. So thank you, thank you again to all my family. Then the work of unpacking started. And by the end of the day, my family had helped us get our kitchen set up, master bedroom and bathroom set up, the kids' rooms and their bathrooms set up. And that night we had a pizza birthday party for both my nephew, Finn, who helped us move. <laughs> he came home for Easter weekend from college and helped us move on his birthday. And it was also my little guy, Colt, he turned two. So they both share a birthday. So we were able to do a small birthday celebration for them which was really nice and sweet and wonderful. I didn't even put it together. My sister coordinated all of that. And then on Sunday for Easter, we skipped church. Shh, don't tell. <laughs> and we continued to unpack the boxes and rearrange furniture and find our house. On Monday, we drove back down to the old house to get the rest of the stuff and come back because the truck was too small, so we had to leave a bunch of it there. Luckily, we'd already agreed to take Monday off of work, so that was already prearranged. The old house is now empty and cleaned and ready for the new owners. And we still have about four to five trips to go to the storage unit to get the rest of our stuff. We've kind of taken a break from that for the last couple of days. Luckily, the storage unit is only two miles away. So that's nice. That'll be easy stuff to get. Also, my husband Channing announced, so he has made a declaration on this, that going forward, he is only going to buy things made in America and support local as much as possible. And this is great. This is, this is a milestone in our relationship. <laughs> I am so proud of him. He then went to the store to buy socks because he needed socks. And he came back with work socks that were Dickie's brand. And I asked, hey, are those made in America? And he said, yeah. And I said, are you sure? And we looked on the back and it said it was made in China. And then he threw the socks against the wall and said some things that I cannot repeat on this podcast because I believe in keeping this podcast G-rated. So, <laughs> so he made the declaration and then less than 12 hours later, flopped on it. <laughs> but now that we're at the new house, we do need a lot of things. And our house is a split level, meaning when you enter, you can either go up the stairs or down the stairs. And we had a very hard time getting furniture into this place. 
We actually got the couch in through the living room window because we could not get it in through the stairs. Unfortunately, my desk, the one that I bought like six years ago for $35 used, does not fit in this house, which really stinks because I really, really like that desk and it does not come apart. It's got a big hutch on the top part of it. It does not separate. So I am forced to sell that on Facebook Marketplace or donate it to somebody somewhere. But I really want them to come here and get it because I'm really done with moving heavy furniture at this point. So I am on the hunt for a new desk. There are actually a lot of items that we are needing for the new house and we are doing a very valiant effort of trying to get them secondhand. But there are, there are some items that we are just not having any luck with. Like we desperately needed a wheelbarrow to transport our stockpile of firewood. So in the end, Channing went to Lowe's to get one and he came back with Craftsman brand. And I asked, I thought you said Craftsman was not made in America anymore. And he replied, yes, very grumpily. <laughs> But the other brand that was made in America was $60 more. So <laughs> he is really trying hard to support American made and local stuff. But sometimes it's just not financially savvy. And we've already spent a ton of money on this move. Another thing is that we are now on five acres, which is super exciting. But now we need a lawnmower. We currently have a push mower, but that is not going to work with five acres now, is it? <laughs> well, I don't have a problem with it, but I'm not the one mowing. So my husband definitely has a problem with it. He has decided that he needs a specific zero turn, 60 inch wide mower. And that's fine. That's okay. I'm pushing for a second hand mower, mostly because it's significantly cheaper and it's second hand, but he wants a good and reliable lawnmower. Well, he went to the big hardware stores and the pickings are slim. That gave me a leg up to push for second hand, hopped on Facebook Marketplace, found not one but two lawnmowers that were definitely cheaper than the store-bought lawnmowers, and then spent the next two, three days talking to the sellers, working out deals with the sellers, figuring out how we were gonna go see the lawnmower, test the lawnmower, get it delivered, in the end, both sellers flaked out on us. And then we turned around and went back to the big box stores. And there was finally a new shipment at one of them that had one zero turn lawnmower, 60 inches wide. So then I agreed, yes, we can get it because we did try. I thank you, Channing. We did try to go secondhand. We just had unfortunate shady deals going down and, and we did not want to go through with it. Hey, sustainability is tough sometimes. It really is. It's very frustrating. It tests your patience. <laughs> you definitely need time on your side and that would have helped except our grass is really tall already. If we could have waited another couple of weeks, that would have been wonderful because then we could have waited for more lawnmowers to come up on secondhand shops or on Facebook Marketplace, but it just was not a luxury that we had. Did I do an Easter celebration with my kids because we moved in over Easter weekend? No, and I feel really guilty about that. But they did get to go on an Easter egg hunt at school and at church before the big move. They did get Easter celebrations in. We did receive two dozen farm fresh eggs from our new neighbors. That's really cool and exciting. And I was really looking forward to dyeing them and using all of the tricks that I talked about a couple episodes ago on the different natural ways that you can dye Easter eggs <laughs> until I opened up the cartons and saw they were all brown, which which I don't think the dyeing process is gonna turn out very well on brown eggs. So I just said, thank you so much. And we will be dyeing Easter eggs next year. But we were gifted a pre-loved swing set and 
my kids have never had one because our old yard was too small. So happy Easter to my kids. We put a swing set together and they were absolutely thrilled. They got to enjoy it for two days when the weather was nice and then it's been rainy and cold ever since. <laughs> Yay, Indiana. So now that we are on five acres, I have finally been able to go out and explore and put my limited foraging skills to use. And I found quite a few things I'm very excited about. I found dandelions, violets that I can make a syrup with, purple dead nettle, grape hyacinth, and a handful of berry bushes that I'm not really sure if they're raspberry or blackberry or something else because right now it's just the leaves that are starting to pop up on them. But in a month or two, we are going to start to see some berries. So I'm very, very excited about that. Also, the last thing I'm going to talk about this past week, we had a guy come out to look at our acreage and our house and give us a quote for geothermal. And that is the inspiration for today's topic. Geothermal and what is it? <laughs> Now, a lot of the information I'm about to share with you is literally coming from this book that he gave me, and that's how I've got all this information. For those of you who have never heard about geothermal, it is a sustainable way that you can heat and cool your house, which is very intriguing to me. So I first heard about this from, from Anna de Simone. She wrote a book called Live in a Home That Pays You Back. And in that book, she talks about geothermal and how you can make your home more sustainable with that. And that was the first time I'd ever heard about geothermal. So then I had to look into it. And now that we've got a new house, I'm looking into it a little bit harder. So I invited this guy. His name is Chris. He's the representative of the company. So he came out and walked around the property and gave me information about it. So let me go through and explain in more detail what geothermal is. It's basically a way to heat and cool your house using the earth. Geo means earth and then thermal, you know, like your thermostat. It's regulating the temperature. How does geothermal work? It's a heat pump system. It simply moves heat energy from one place to another. Your refrigerator actually works the same way. If you don't know how your refrigerator works, because <laughs> I didn't, I had to look it up. <laughs> I will do my best to explain it. When your refrigerator is operating, Heat is being carried away from the inside food storage area to the outside, which is your kitchen. Therefore, cooling is not being added to the inside. Heat is being taken out. And that's how the geothermal heat pump works. It's transferring heat from one place to another. A refrigerator uses a refrigeration circuit with four main components. The first is a compressor. The second is a condenser. The third is an expansion device, and last is an evaporator. Refrigerant, also known as Freon, is pumped through the circuit to transfer heat from the inside of the refrigerator to the outside. A geothermal heat pump has a compressor, a condenser, an expansion device, and an evaporator, just like a refrigerator, but also includes a reversing valve to allow both heating and cooling. The big difference between a refrigerator or traditional air conditioner and a geothermal heat pump is the way heat is transferred. A geothermal heat pump transfers heat between the refrigerant circuit and the ground instead of between the refrigerant circuit and the air. So like in your kitchen, if you walk by your refrigerator, especially if you walk by barefoot, you'll feel where the hot air is being pumped out of the refrigerator. So with the geothermal unit, it's pumping the hot air out into the ground so you won't really walk by and notice it. 
Also, the ground is a much milder heat source since the temperature changes very little over the course of a year. If anybody here has ever been caving, I used to do that quite a bit with the Boy Scouts. When you go down into the ground in a cave, it's the same temperature all year round. It's 52 degrees all year round, which is why the geothermal system is great because it's consistent ground temperature all year round. The outside air temperature, which is your alternative, varies significantly over the year, which is why the geothermal heat pump is much more energy efficient than your traditional air conditioner or heat pump. There are two main types of geothermal systems. You have closed loop systems and open loop systems. So first we're gonna talk about the closed loop system. This uses a continuous loop of special buried plastic pipe as a heat exchanger. The pipe is connected to the indoor heat pump to form a sealed underground loop through which water and or antifreeze solution circulates. A closed loop system recirculates its heat transferring solution in pressurized pipe. So it's just the same solution going around and around and around. With a closed loop system, you can have it installed horizontally into the ground, which is great if you have a lot of yard. Trenches will be dug and they are going to be four to six feet deep. And as a rule of thumb, it's gonna be about 125 to 300 feet of trenching are required per ton of heat pump capacity. So if you have a two ton air conditioning unit, you would double that. If you have a four ton air conditioning unit, then you would quadruple that. So you're gonna need a lot of yard <laughs> and you're gonna to need to not care about how it looks because that trench, that trench work is going to tear up your yard for sure. If you are in a neighborhood with a smaller yard, then you can do what they call a vertical loop. And here it will be a hole that is bored or dug down about 150 to 300 feet. Again, that is per ton of heat pump capacity. So depending on the size of your house, the more you're gonna to have to dig down into the ground. Now of the two systems, horizontal is cheaper because it's easier to dig horizontal trench. To dig straight down into the ground takes a lot more work, so the cost goes up. The good news is these closed loop systems, the pipes that are used to make it, they're guaranteed for 50 years. But the reality is they're gonna last a whole lot longer than that, but they are guaranteed for 50 years. Other than the initial trenching system or digging, will the earth loop affect your lawn or landscape? And the answer is no. Research has proven that loops have no adverse effect on grass, trees, or shrubs. And I think another concern is if I walk around barefoot, am I going to notice like my yard being warmer? No, not really, because it is down far enough. You're not really going to notice. The heat is getting transferred. The ground will absorb it. It's not going to have a high enough temperature to notice or to affect any of your plants. The closed loop system is the ideal way to go. They do have open loop systems, which are an option. An open loop system is going to use groundwater, most likely from a well, and it's going to use that, run it through your system. It'll get pumped all through, and then it's going to be disposed of out a different end. So it's not cycled around. It's being used and then dumped. The discharge of this water means it'll be released into a water system like a stream, river, lake, or a pond, a ditch or a drainage tile area. Obviously, one of these alternatives must be readily available and must possess the capacity to accept the amount of water that is being used by the heat pump and can handle the amount being dumped into it. So you will need a second means of water discharge. It's called a return well. So you have one well to suck it up and then another way to return the water back down into the ground aquifer. 
This might be an option, but you are going to need a lot of water. This open loop system generally will use about six to 10 gallons per minute while operating. So on an extremely cold day, this might result in usage of up to 6,000 to 10,000 gallons of water for one day. It's quite a lot. It's not exactly wasteful because you're using it, it's sucking it up, using it and returning it. It's just a lot. That's why the closed loop systems are a lot more popular. If you do have this water source and you have that amount of water that you can be using, there are a couple of problems that can occur that you need to take into consideration. First, your water quality must be good. If it's a poor water quality, this is gonna cause some serious problems in your open loop system. And you're gonna to wanna to test your water for hardness, acidity, and iron content before a heat pump is installed. Mineral deposits can build up inside the heat pump's heat exchange, and that's gonna cause issues. Impurities, particularly iron, can eventually clog a return well, again, causing a lot of issues. And the last thing to consider is that you should not be using water from a spring, pond, lake, or river because it's going to have an excessive amount of particles and organic matter that again will clog up your heat pump and make it inoperable in a short period of time. So if your water quality is at all a concern, again, use the closed loop system. That's the way to go. When it comes to installing the geothermal heat pump, it's usually pretty easy to install, especially if they're replacing another forced air system. So if they're replacing either a furnace or an air conditioner unit or a combo of the two, if you've already have a forced air system, then you're literally just swapping out the equipment. What's cool is that they can be installed in areas that would be deemed unsuitable for a fossil fuel furnace because there's no combustion, thus no need to vent exhaust gases. You will need ductwork to be installed in the home if it doesn't currently have a ductwork system. And that can be difficult and pricey. So you'll have to talk to a contractor and let them do the assessment there. But if you've already got the ductwork system, bonus. What I did not share yet is that your geothermal heat pump system can also heat up your water. It's called a hot water generator. This would be an add-on to your system, but it's awesome because it can save you up to 50% on your water heating bill because it will be preheating your tank water. So if you're currently using gas or electricity to heat your water, this would replace that. If you're not comfortable going 100% geothermal, that's okay. You can add it to a fossil fuel furnace, one that runs on gas, oil, or propane. Some people do split systems and that's, that's an easy add-on especially if you already have an existing furnace. Why would people want to do that? Well, for example, like I'm out in the country. So if for some reason the geothermal unit, which needs electricity to run it, if there's a power outage, then I'm not going to be able to run it. I'd have to wait till the electricity is restored. Unless I have solar panels or generator backup of some type, which right now we currently don't. <laughs> so that's where maybe having that backup, that split system would be great because it would be there for emergencies. But it would still be extremely cost effective because right now the house that I'm currently in, the new one, has a 1,000 gallon propane tank that's very expensive to fill up. <laughs> and our heat runs off of propane. If I have the geothermal unit and I lose power, that propane tank, instead of lasting me one year, it's probably gonna last me five, six, seven years because I'd really only be using it in emergency situations. 
Now, this was a question that my husband asked. Do we need to increase the size of our electrical service? The good news is the geothermal heat pumps do not use large amounts of resistant heat. So your existing service is most likely going to be adequate. Generally, a 200 amp service will have enough capacity, which is good. <laughs> I mean, think about it. You're literally replacing the furnace and the AC with the geothermals. It's going to be about the same. Now the geothermal heat pump is sustainable, but is it efficient? And geothermal heat pumps are three and a half to five times as efficient as the most efficient fossil fuel furnace. So instead of burning a combustible fuel to make heat, they simply move heat that already exists, which is why they're so efficient. How much does a system like this cost? <laughs> Way more than you want it to. <laughs> I was a little bit sticker shocked, I will be honest. So for a typical home, the system will cost more than if you bought a separate forced air furnace and central air conditioning system, but you really wouldn't be comparing apples to apples. To get an accurate comparison of costs, you need to consider the following. Consider payback or how long it takes to recover the difference in cost between the two systems using energy savings because your electric bill will be decreased by about two thirds. If you're using electric for heat and air, if you're using gas for heat and air, then that bill is getting cut. Payback for most general heat pump systems takes about three to five years. So if you're going to be at the house for three to five years, then you will start to see a return on your investment. Another thing to consider is the total operating savings from heat, cooling, and domestic hot water, and combine all of that to get an accurate picture of your total energy savings. And energy costs and availability for both present and future, because your demand for energy is significantly less, which is great because right now there are a lot of issues around the country around the U.S. and probably other countries too, where the demand for electricity is really high, especially with our growing population and the continuous building of new buildings and houses, commercial buildings, they all demand electricity and there are shortages. There are power shortages that are happening because the electrical companies cannot meet the demand. So I'm very lucky where I live because my current local electric company is very supportive of geothermal because it will alleviate the pressure off of them. So they are willing to pay for a nice chunk of the geothermal installation at our house. And I'm sure that you will encounter other companies who are going to do the same thing. And the last thing to consider is the lifespan. So your loop systems is guaranteed 50 years and it's definitely gonna last longer than that. And then the heat pump system itself is guaranteed for 20 to 25 years, generally lasting longer than that as well. Both outlasting your furnace and your AC units. So I'll give you a quick rundown of our numbers just to kind of give you an idea. When I initially called the office and talked to them, they said it would be about 22,000 if I had a lot of land to do a horizontal dig and 26,000 if I had a small yard and had to do a vertical dig. The problem with my house <laughs> is that there was a small house and then a big add-on and they did not connect the ductwork. So it's two separate ductworks. So I actually have two AC units, one for the house, one for the add-on, and two furnaces, one for the house, one for the add-on. So I have four units going on right now. And because the ductwork is not connected, that means I would not get one geothermal unit. I would have to get two. 
but the one unit would replace furnace and AC for one portion of the house. The second unit would replace the furnace and AC on the addition of the house. It is also good to know that my current electric company is willing to pay for the ground loop installation. So just installing the ground loops is about eight grand. I cannot guarantee that's gonna be the same for everybody, but there are resources. I mean, just look it up. Look up your local electric company and ask, is this something you support? And there might be city and county and state resources available to you depending on where you live as well. There are even rebates available depending on which units you get. So the ones that we're looking on have a $3,000 rebate and we have to get two units, <laughs> which makes the price go up, but then they each get a $3,000 rebate. So that's 6,000. So that's very helpful. And then I'm pretty sure there are some state rebates. I have to look into them a little bit more, but I do know there is a federal rebate. So this is for everybody in the U.S. federally. There is a 26% tax credit. So depending on what your grand total bill is, 26%, so that's about, a, I mean, a little bit more than one fourth of whatever your cost is. So if your cost is like 26,000, like I said, then a fourth of that would be about 6,500 just for rough numbers that you would get back on your taxes. So you'd get that back and now you use that money to make one gigantic payment to help pay it off. So when all is said and done, initially we were quoted 32,000 because we have to get that extra unit. But then with all of the tax credits and rebates and everything, it's going to be about 18,000 is our guesstimate which sounds like a lot, but now you gotta take into consideration our propane tank that we'd have to fill up every single year, gas just went up. It's gonna cost us about four grand to fill that sucker up because it's a 1,000 gallon tank. <laughs> so that's a lot of money. That'll So that alone will be paid off in four and a half years. Not to mention our electric bill is gonna get cut by two thirds. So that's also a good chunk of money that we'd be saving on. Plus, one of our AC units is currently bad. We would have to replace that. We, it, we were quoted six grand to replace the bad AC unit, which we knew about when we bought the house and we used that to get a slight discount on the house. But that six grand would, instead of going towards an AC unit, would be going towards the heat pump. Earlier, the question was return on investment would be about three to five years. And just based off of my calculations, we're going to see that in three to five years because of the rebates and the tax breaks. Fingers crossed, hopefully that also plays out very well in your favors, but I think it's great to start looking into it now. At some point in time in the future, your AC unit will go bad and your furnace will go bad. And if you're on propane, that gas price is just gonna keep going up, especially as shortages keep happening. So these are all very important things to consider when you are looking into a geothermal unit. And like I mentioned before, our quote came back significantly higher than I had been anticipating. So like any good, hardworking individual who wants to keep as much of their money as possible, I am calling other companies to also get quotes from them. Hopefully they're a whole lot cheaper. Something else I wanted to do was compare geothermal to solar, but that's a tricky comparison to do because it's not even. They're two very different things. Cost-wise, I feel like they're both insanely expensive and about the same. But if you choose to run your house strictly on solar, you're still gonna need a furnace and an AC unit to heat and cool your house. But now it'd be solar powering it versus the electric company or fossil fuels. 
geothermal units will still need electricity to power them, but it's not going to be using electricity to create the hot and cold air. Therefore, it's drastically reducing your electrical usage by two thirds. Personally, our goal is to install geothermal first, watch our electric bill decline by two thirds, get a good idea of how much electricity we will be using with the geothermal system installed. When I say that, I mean the total electrical usage. So that's for the geothermal system plus anytime we turn on lights or run the dishwashing machine, use a hairdryer, charge our cell phones, all of that stuff. Once we know our electrical usage, because it's going to be different here at the new house and the old house, so it's going to be a little bit of time. But once we know the new reduced usage, then our plan is to get solar panels because now we're not going to need nearly as many as if we would have just done solar completely. So the solar cost is going to be reduced by a lot because our electrical need is going to be reduced as well. That is our plan for our future. Hopefully it comes sooner rather than later, but depending on cost and financing and supply chain <laughs> issues, I don't know when it's going to come to fruition, but that is our plan as a family. And now it's time for the weekly challenge. So I will draw a card or the challenge for the next two weeks. Hey, it matches our theme today. <laughs> Turn down your heating a few degrees and opt to wear a sweater instead. I like that idea. <laughs> save on money, save on heat, whether it's gas or electric. Wear a sweater or grab a blanket or a Snuggie, fuzzy bathrobe, fuzzy socks, whatever it is. <laughs> there are so many other options to do instead of just cranking up the thermostat. I know that it is the tail end of April, almost May, and so many places except Indiana <laughs> are now using the AC at this moment in time. So at least tuck away this little nugget for the winter, for this upcoming winter, and keep this in mind. And if you're in Indiana like me, where it's hot and cold and hot and cold, it was literally 80 degrees three days ago. And for the past three mornings, it's been 30 degrees when we wake up and a high of 50. So. <laughs> Yay, Indiana. <laughs> the next show will be May 16th. So come back and listen in because we're going to be talking about raising chickens. And I say we because I'm going to be interviewing my friend Sarah Sexton, who recently relocated her family to eastern Indiana out in the middle of nowhere and just purchased a farmhouse with a lot of land. And then they started becoming farmers or doing the transition. The first thing they did was chickens, which I hear is pretty easy. So that's why I want to talk to her and learn all about raising chickens because that's my next goal. My husband doesn't know that yet, <laughs> but we would also like to start raising chickens ourselves. And it has nothing to do with the fact that we went to the grocery store and purchased chicken breasts that had literally doubled in price. So I think becoming sustainable is a great lifestyle, a self-sufficient lifestyle, and financially motivating as well. That is all for now, Sustainer Nation. Continue saving the world. Have a wonderful rest of your week, and next week, I will talk to you all again on May 16th. Have a great one. Bye. Feeling overwhelmed by climate change? Looking for sustainable and ethical brands to support? 
that Ethic is perfect for you. Ethic is a simple browser extension that helps you find sustainable and ethical brands online. Learn more at ethic.org, E-T-H-Y-K.org.